Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to another edition of Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. David Lake joined, as always, by Gabby Urrutia uh, here on a Tuesday, the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. Wanted to give everyone a podcast, uh, you know, if you're traveling to go see family and or friends. Um, Also, want to wish everyone a a happy Thanksgiving. It's my favorite holiday of the year. Um, So, yeah, hopefully everyone out there can. Spend the time with with the people you love and uh, take some time to reflect and and be thankful for what you have. Um, Before we get into this podcast, Gabby, want to uh, point out that 24-7 Sports is uh, giving everyone across the network a major Thanksgiving week, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, it all kind of bleeds in into one whole thing for us. Um, a 75% off annual subscription sale. It's our biggest sale of the year. Uh, it's been a while since we've had one of these subscription sales. So um, want to direct all our listeners' attention to it. 75% off basically gets you a yearly subscription, an annual subscription, the first year for $26 and change uh, over the course of 12 months. That's what, $2 and 20 cents. I think it's it's a good value. Um, So yeah, if you appreciate this podcast, number one, thank you for listening. We appreciate your, your support via the podcast. If you want to dive into the fun on the website for an even an even deeper dive into Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting fandom, uh, take advantage of this deal. $26 and change gets you a year subscription to InsideTheU.com. All right. So now that we got that out of the way, Gabby, this podcast, I kind of want to just set the table slash discuss some of the big topics that are going to be forthcoming here with December approaching. So number one, 
I want to discuss, uh, you know, your thoughts on the transfer portal, um, mainly from an acquisition standpoint, not from a departure standpoint. Um, you wrote a really interesting article kind of highlighting or speculating on some options for Miami, uh, you know, potentially in the portal. And so I wanted to touch on that in addition to some guys that are already entering the transfer portal um, that maybe Miami fans should know. Then we'll take a break and then we will discuss coordinators. Um, You know, just kind of what we think about the job, offensive coordinators, offensive coordinator Josh Gaddis and defensive coordinator Kevin Steele have done this year. And just kind of what we expect maybe in December and moving forward, um, kind of discuss the decision, the decisions that Mario Cristobal uh, will have to wrestle with here at the coordinator spots. Um, but Gabby, yeah, let's start with the transfer portal. Um, and I guess I just want to start here. I mean, we've kind of been hinting at this, that we expected it to be a crazy portal window, right? Because now it's a window. I think it opens December 5th, December 4th. I forget the exact day. It's December 5th. Okay. So that's the Monday after uh, conference championship weekend. Um, that's when guys can officially enter the portal. Um, unless you're a graduate already, you can enter it now. Um, I think Gabby, it's fair to say, you know, look, if you're an upperclassman, if you're a junior or senior right now, and you're hearing or slash reading these reports of the NIL deals that incoming freshmen are receiving um if i was an older player and if i was pretty good i would probably want to test my value in the market in the transfer portal and see what what kind of figures i could command as a proven commodity is that the reason why we kind of all expect this transfer portal window slash off season to be the craziest one we've seen yet yeah, I mean, I think that's exact. I think that's exactly why it's going to be the wild, wild west. Because if you're a proven commodity at maybe a smaller program, or even just like at a program where you know there is just levels above you, there's a tier above the program you're at, you can test the transfer market. And again, you could always go back. Again, if you're a proven player, yeah. I think that your school is going to kind of have to re-recruit you to try to keep you on the roster. Not saying that's going to work for everybody. There's going to be some guys that enter the transfer portal. And the second they leave, you know, they're going to, you know, take out like, you know, cancel that financial, their financial aid kind of move on from that player creates a spot for someone else. So you got to be careful with it. But if you're a, if you're a hot commodity, if you're one of the program's best players, if you're a top guy at a G5 program, and I mean, you would be, and you have eligibility left. I mean, you should test the transfer market at least to see what your value could be. Cause again, the numbers that we're seeing, just throughout the NIL marketplace it is wild. And let's not pretend that what these high school recruits are generating, there isn't a separate kind of amount maybe dished off to the side for the transfer portal because let like the transfer portal generates its own NIL marketplace and that can get pretty steep as well. So if you're one of these guys, again, proven commodity looking to maybe take that next step, 
I mean, I think a lot of these guys are going to be testing the market. And again, this is just the very beginning right now, guys that are officially entering the transfer portal, as some people saw, you know, here on Tuesday, this is just graduates. These are guys that have finished school that have their degrees that can enter the transfer portal as graduate transfers. And, you know, they're already free to do that. They can start taking visits. They can do those types of things, or they can start asking around, having conversations with coaches, get offered all those things. But if you haven't graduated from school yet, again, there's still probably like a week and a half left until the madness really, really starts, but it's going to get kind of, it's going to get pretty nutty out there, David. I know that we're expecting to be really, really busy with a transfer portal, you know, again, the talent acquisition side of it, the other side of it isn't as fun to talk about, but the acquisition part and improving the roster is definitely going to be excited to track. Yeah. And to your point too, I, I think it's also interesting with some guys, this is at every school, talent retention is going to be important too. Uh, you know, if if you don't want one of your better players to test the portal market, you better give him a reason not to do that. Right. So there's kind of three levels of NIL slash talent acquisition, retention, roster management going on in college football right now. I don't envy the people that have to do this for a living. Um, It's probably a lot more fun for the people that cover it, like you and I do, um, than actually being in the fight of it. Um, But anyways, Miami, I think, is is in a good situation for uh, having a strong showing in the transfer portal. I think they did so last year, Gabby. And if you look back to last year, if we, if we think back to it, I mean, really they were kind of just doing things on the fly. I mean, really they kind of got started late, I think in the portal compared to other programs. And part of that was because of a coaching transition. Mario Cristobal arrived what mid-ish December, a little before mid-December his focus, I think, was primarily on high school recruiting when he first arrived. Then he transitioned into put it, building out his staff. And kind of while he was doing that, he was also doing uh, some transfer additions as well. Um, I think year over year, where Miami is, is at now is they have their operation set for the transfer portal and i think they're going to hit the ground running not that they did a bad job last year they added a lot of talented guys i just think they're going to hit the ground running better quicker sooner with attacking the transfer portal this cycle than they did last cycle would you agree with that definitely and i do because i I, for a lot of the reasons that you said too and i think also there was a portion where you're kind of still even evaluating the roster right like I don't think they even completely fully understood what exactly it was that they needed maybe until they got into spring practice or even later on into it because you look at some of those December additions and it it just kind of felt like they were adding depth guys like okay we know we could use a body here we know we could use a body there but I feel like what you said David they, they're what they're they have a greater understanding of where the roster is now. I think that there's a concrete plan. We need to do this. This is exactly what we're looking for. This is what we're lacking. This is what we need. This is where we can add depth. So I just think that again, what like what you're what you're mentioning is is so true. It's they they have their whole operation in place. They 
they they have a plan they they ha- they're doing things with a purpose so i think we're going to see maybe more production come out of this maybe december transfer class and i do think there's going to be a wave in the spring we're sure it's going to be different yeah. there there's a separate transfer window over there i think that's where miami got a lot of a lot more talented was in that spring trend was was later right. was later on when they got Akeem Mesidor, they got daryl uh, jackson uh they got mitchell agude um you know caleb johnson's a guy that's helped in uh in you know at linebacker so you know i do think that there's a there was maybe more of a buffer period last december but i do think now it's going to be you know they're looking to get like active contributors i think you know henry Parrish is one they did a good job with last spring so mm-hmm. you know tip my cap to them for that one but i feel like there's going to be more henry Parrish-esque impact in like in, in terms of impactfulness for or towards the roster uh in 2023 with this december transfer window so i'm really excited to see how it all plays out so let's dive into your story. Um, you know, let's set the table. You can take it from here, just how you decided to organize it um, and just what you wanted to, because you wanted to keep it somewhat realistic, right? right. Yeah. Um, so tell us how you went about uh, formatting this article. Yeah, uh, you know, definitely took and a lot of it. Let's uh, say right. here for, for the listeners, if you go want to go read it, speculating on potential transfer portal options for Miami this off season is the name of the article. If you Google that phrase, it'll pop up. It is VIP. So take advantage of this subscription deal. Um, but go ahead, Gabby, sorry to cut you off. No, 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 that's, that's perfect. And, and yeah, again, try to keep, try to keep it semi-realistic. And again, it's not really something that like, this is sourced stuff. This is just me trying to piece of puzzle together that doesn't really have a, a rhyme or a reason or anything like that. Just again, just obviously guys in Florida got huge priority just because I think uh, five of Miami's 11 transfer portal auditions last year were from South Florida. Um, obviously I think that you had Daryl Jackson. I think it's six total were from, were from the sunshine state. So guys from Florida took, um, you know, obviously precedent. I mean, I kind of prioritized guys from the Sunshine State, all those things, and then broke it up into four different categories, which was, which was basically intriguing true freshmen, which is just guys that, you know, just played their true freshman year. Uh, maybe things didn't go as planned. Uh, maybe they went to a lower tier program and maybe looking for a bigger program where I think they've proven they can play at. A uh, group of five guys, and that's exact, essentially that guys from the group of five level who could potentially make the leap to the power five level. We've seen that happen uh, a lot. Uh, potential homecomings is a third category. That's just guys that have left South Florida in the past. Maybe it wasn't last year. It was two years, three years down the line. Maybe it hasn't gone exactly uh, the way that they had hoped at that point. And, uh, you know, they made they could make their return home again. We saw that with Frank Ladson. Um, you know, Henry Parrish is one. Uh, Jake Lichtenstein is another one that came back. Jonathan Dennis. I mean, I think that's a, a category of, 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 of guys who potentially make the most sense or that could, you know, actually work. Uh, Daryl Porter is another one, obviously. Uh, you know, another one's just a change of scenery, guys. You know, guys that have been at a program for a few years, maybe highly recruited coming out of high school, maybe just kind of need a fresh start somewhere. So I think that there's some cool prospects in there where I was able to figure out. And then the last one, which was really just a couple guys, it was kind of like, hear me out, where it's maybe a little bit off the wall. Uh, maybe guys that are tied to other people where, you know, I think that bringing one in could make sense for another situation or something like that. So just a couple of different categories to help break up the madness of, of what that was. Yeah. And it's an article that lists, I don't know, maybe 25 guys, 25 to 30 guys. Um, 
So let's, we, you know, don't have the time to talk about everyone. Right. But pull out five guys maybe that you feel like is worth highlighting that you included in the article. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'll start with, I mean, let's go just, I guess we'll go by the first category, just intriguing true freshmen. Uh, put two of, I mean, two of them that I kind of separated there again, a lot more, but two I can think of the first CJ Donaldson, West Virginia running back. Um, he's had an insane year. His story is kind of wild. Played at Miami Gulliver Prep, uh, was committed to Tulane for a long time. West you Virginia are, flipped you I'm are a, the president of the CJ Donaldson fan club. I am. And I know listeners I, will know this too. For sure. And if you don't recognize his name, CJ Donaldson, it's because he was, he obviously, he went by his first name before he got to college and it's DeCarlo Donaldson. So if the name DeCarlo Donaldson sounds familiar to you, same name, someone I pounded the table for last cycle um went to west virginia is not a tight end anymore is playing running back six foot two 240 pounds uh sounds like a type of guy that miami can kind of bring in again just kind of considering the type of offense they want to run it seems they need bigger bodies more depth at running back also kind of a weird situation at west virginia it seems like that whole area is kind of blurry i don't know if how many of you guys follow carl reed who's at who's with us at 24 7 sports kind of tweeted something a little hazy about them, like, oh, what's going on in West Virginia over there? I know that there's a situation going on where they just lost their AD, may move on from Neil Brown. C.J. Donaldson's a guy from South Florida, from Miami-Dade County, went to high school right down the street from the University of Miami, who I think could really come in and provide a spark at running back as a bigger body who's physical. And I think he averaged, I, th- I think I wrote it down here somewhere, averaged um, over six over six yards per carry yeah. and scored eight times. For the Mountaineers. 526 yards in seven games. So his season ended short yeah. due to injury. <laughs> I, it's not a knee or anything like that. I don't think it's anything serious, but that late in the season, I think it did knock him out for the year. Yeah. Um, but definitely he was uh, trending towards being one of the best true freshman running backs at the Power 5 level. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that I think that he's a really... I think that's a really interesting situation and one to monitor again, if he decides he does not want to be in Morgantown anymore, uh, seems like Miami would be a potentially good fit. And, and, and Miami needs bigger backs. Like, right. You know, that Franklin is entering the portal. CJ Donaldson would be a good, I think he's an upgrade, but he, you look at his advanced metrics. He's at this year. He was averaging 4.2 yards per carry after contact. That's big time elite numbers. Um, Anything over three is good. So he was in the fours. Um, and you mentioned too, like he kind of mainly played, like I'm I'm mainly familiar with him at the high school level at tight end, right? right. And he was a beast uh, tight end at the high school level. So he definitely has that uh, receiving capability For at sure. the backfield too. Yeah, I, I, I was very, I mean, just kind of spent a lot of time around a seven on seven team. I mean, he was... He's a natural catcher of the football, um, all those different types of things. Again, the reason he probably didn't go to or wasn't maybe highly recruited was because, you know, he was a tight end and he was, you know, he's probably a shade over 6'1", again, a little yeah. thicker at, at, at 240, maybe kind of a tweener, um, you know. So I remember, actually remember, you know, watching one of his high school games, Rhett Lashley, Rob Likens were on the sidelines. You know, they're, the, the with those guys, it was just like, yeah, he's a good player, but we don't really know what to do with him because he's kind of too small to play tight end. And I don't think right. anyone was thinking running back. So I think now that he's settled in there, um, definitely an intriguing. I'd be a big time get if Miami could. I mean, he For hasn't sure. entered the portal or anything like that, but right. that one does make sense. Who else yeah. would you highlight? 
Yeah, Shamar Stewart. I mean, I don't have to go too far to, you know, familiarize yeah. Miami fans with that one. Um, Texas A&M, again, just kind of situational. Uh, went to Texas A&M, obviously wanted to play for um, a, a national competitor. Uh, that did not go well. Uh, things in College Station um, just kind of started trending really, really poorly, really, really quickly. I think that's a team. I mean, they're definitely not making a bowl game this year. I think they ended up losing six straight games. Uh, Shamar has got some good burn for Texas A&M, but again, uh, just kind of looking at the situation and the reasons why he went over there in the first place, not exactly sure this is what he signed up for. And I think if he's going to be, again, not saying he's going to transfer, I'm not insinuating right. he is, but uh, you know, if he were to kind of reevaluate his, his situation, um, you know, I do think if you told him, Hey, Texas A&M would, is going to be, is going to miss a bowl game and Miami is going to be right on the fringe. I mean, I don't know if he still would have made the decision to go to college station. Those are my words, not words from anywhere else. So um, I do think that again, if Shamar Stewart were to hit the portal, I mean, I think Miami would probably be okay with welcoming him back with open arms, uh, just yeah. considering the time of the Mario Cristobal era. And, you know, obviously it, it being early. So Shamar is definitely someone who I wanted to highlight in this one. Shamar's had a good year. Yeah. As an SEC true freshman line of scrimmage player, he's played 400 snaps on the year and he started one, two, three, four, five, six games this year. Um, stats at the moment 22 tackles, three and a half tackles for loss, one and a half sacks. So uh, doesn't jump off the page, but he's a true freshman starting in the SEC at defensive end. 6'4", 285, uh, big-time player, obviously would be a big potential addition to the playing rotation at Miami if he was to enter the transfer portal and if he did land at Miami. Thinking about the potential of pairing him with Nigel e. Kelly yeah. certainly would be exciting. Yeah, and at 285, obviously physically mature. I mean, he's played yeah. in the SEC. I mean, I don't think it'd be a question that he's – kind of physically ready to be a high level contributor at a program like Miami. Um, moving along, an another yeah. name Miami fans might be familiar with. And again, this is kind of, this was, this falls into the category of change of scenery. Maybe guys that, uh, you know, just kind of need a fresh start somewhere. Um, I'm going with Justin flow, the, the linebacker at Oregon, okay. uh, former number one overall rated linebacker signed with Mario Cristobal and the ducks coming out of high school from California uh, honestly has not graded out well. He is not like, you know, on PFF, I think he, he, ha he has like a 48.5 grade. It's definitely not good. He's played the 18th, mo the 18th most snaps of any duck defender. Um, yeah. so again, he's not, this he's not really a starter. He started two games this year. Yeah. And again, it's, I think it's more of just kind of, yeah. uh, maybe needing a fresh start somewhere. He did look at Miami coming out of high school. His, the head coach assigned him is at Miami. Miami needs some big physical linebackers, you know, just some guys that can, that can run around. I think they need just some depth. Um, you know, they are, they are taking a big high school class, but, and it's also part of me kind of being under this, under the understanding that there are some linebackers that could potentially leave. I think Justin Flo could be an older guy. Um, again, looking for a new situation and a new place to kind of maybe reinvent himself Miami being a situation that kind of makes sense. So Justin Flo was probably the third person that I'd highlight here. 6'2", 246, definitely like a thumper style uh, middle linebacker. Probably a guy that you don't want in coverage a ton, um, but he can play downhill and he will make ball carriers feel his presence. He's a guy that would still have 
I believe, um, two more years if he did decide to transfer. So um, I agree that that would be an intriguing one just because of the connection to Mario Cristobal. And early on in his recruitment, Miami was kind of a contender there. Yeah. Who who else would you highlight? Yeah, I'm going to kind of stick at linebacker, um, just going with some SEC size, another guy that kind of falls into the change of scenery category. That's going to be Georgia linebacker Ryan Davis. Um, again, I think he's honestly pretty talented. I mean, he's played a hundred, I mean, I guess this at the writing of this article, he's played 146 total snaps for the Bulldogs, 13 tackles. Um, Georgia has recruited the linebacker position at a really, really high level. And, um, you know, I think that just, there's just some young guys that have kind of just passed him up in the depth chart, but again, he's a big type of dude. I believe he's listed at six foot two, uh, 230 pounds, two years of left of eligibility. Again, just a guy with some sec experience. That's been a part of an, a major sec uh, strength and conditioning program. Miami needs some more depth at linebacker. You're excited about Wesley Besaint, um, you know, but I think you just continue, you just need to continue to continue to add size, um, add guys that, you know, can kind of tackle well, you know, do all those different types of things. I think Ryan Davis, he's a guy that's from the, the state of Florida. I believe he is, yep. a, he's an Apopka, an yep. Apopka, Florida native, um, obviously signed with the Bulldogs. He was a top hundred talent coming out of high school. So, I think he's someone, again, if he's looking for a situation where maybe he can get on the field more and be more of a contributor, I think Miami's a spot that could make sense. That's a good one, too. You know, these linebackers, you look at the position group and just, you know, it needs to look a certain way. You've mentioned two kind of middle linebackers that are 6'2", 240-ish that look the part and can strike. So I like that one as well. Who's your fifth guy? that you would highlight from the article. Yeah, this is, I, I want to throw a G5 guy, one of those G5 guys making the jump. Um, we're going to talk about maybe some other receivers that, you know, that Miami could potentially get involved in, but wanted to throw one more here, uh, one more in here. That's Jimmy Horn Jr. Uh, out of USF, Sanford Seminole product. So that's a program in the Orlando area that, you know, does produce some NFL talent, Gabriel Davis uh, being one of them. Ray Ray Armstrong went there too. Um, so, and then they've, you know, just done a good job of even producing, uh, college level guys that, that play well, uh, Jimmy Horn jr. Five foot nine, 170 pounds. I mean, I think he's very interesting. I mean, we're talking about needing weapons on offense, guys who can make plays, stretch the field, make people miss. And I think Jimmy Horn's kind of one of those guys that you put him on the field and in a number of different ways, he can kind of get the ball into the end zone. He has a 55 yard rushing touchdown this year, a 91 yard receiving touchdown and an 89 yard kick return. Averages 17.7 yards per catch for, for USF, Uh, you know, head coach Jeff Scott just got fired. So seems like a candidate who could definitely test the open market. And, you know, I do think he's kind of a twitchy athlete who can give Miami a a spark on offense, potentially out of the slot or a guy that, you know, again, can do a couple different things and could kind of be a weapon for Miami in 2023, especially, you know, if Tyler Van Dyke comes back, he's going to be looking for these types of guys that can create space. And uh, I think Jimmy Horn Jr. is someone that that fits the bill in a lot of ways for, for something Miami would probably like and value. Yeah. He's a 10, 800 meter guy in high school. So yeah. presumably he's faster than that now. And I think he was a 23 foot long jumper, which was enough to win a state championship in the state of Florida, his senior year. So like you said, fast, twitchy guy, He's been productive. You know, USF's offense isn't exactly great. Um, So his 501 yards uh, this year in the context of that kind of struggling offense 
is impressive. I would imagine he, if he does test the transfer portal, he would get a lot of looks. I think late in the recruiting process as well, if I remember correctly, I think Georgia made a run at him. He had a committable offer from Georgia. I think Jackson State made a run at him, which is interesting because now Deion Sanders is getting linked to that USF, USF job. That, that is interesting. Um, and I think, uh, I want to say Tennessee made a late push at him too. Um, Jimmy Horde's kind of like a late bloomer type who was really impressive his senior year. So um, P5 programs did take notice of him um, because of that speed and twitch. You kind of hinted, Gabby, um, that there are some other group of five slash one guy is what, FCS? Um, yeah. Some interesting names that actually have entered the transfer portal um, on Tuesday. And they are at wide receiver, which I think you and I agree is kind of like a key position of need, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, Tell us one by one about those guys. Yeah, let's start with the first name, right? Uh, David, I know you're a big fan of this guy, so I want you to get your your, your two cents in for sure. Um, Grant Dubois, uh, I'm guessing it's Dubois uh, out of Charlotte. Is it, is it Dubois, right? I don't know. I mean, Dubose? I would have just said Dubose, but... Dubose, Dubois. Let's... If we're rolling our R's, let's go Dubois. Okay, let's, let's deal. <laughs> so Charlotte wide receiver, I mean, really has spent just two years, um, you know, with the 49ers. And in t- I mean, the numbers in two years are pretty are pretty wild. 125 catches, uh, 1,679 yards and 15 touchdowns. Um, so, I mean, this is against a six foot three. A uh, 200 pounder started his career at Miles College in Alabama. He's a Montgomery native. Then didn't play in 2020. Uh, popped into Charlotte in 2021 and just kind of started balling. So uh, we're talking about a big, uh, a big bodied guy against six three, 200 pounds that can make plays, catch passes, get into the end zone. Um, I think Grant Dubois is uh, is uh, someone to definitely you know, just keep an eye on. I mean, I know he's already on Miami's board. I know he's someone that they're already trying to kind of like figure out stuff with. So again, I don't think that this, I mean, it is an early name. There's going to be a long process, but I do think that this is a legitimate uh, wide receiver target and someone that they could actively pursue and potentially, you know, bring in if given the opportunity. Yeah. It's interesting because, um, you know, this morning, Tuesday morning, I was kind of, I'm putting together an article of group of five guys that I think are intriguing um, in terms of they still have a year of a year or multiple years of eligibility and might be guys that, you know, should explore the transfer portal just for themselves, you know, not saying that Miami's already contacted these guys, et cetera, et cetera, but just my, my own independent research. um, Grant was a guy probably my favorite guy on the list. Um, And then two hours later, it was reported that he was in the transfer portal. So what did I like about him? Um, Number one, he's got that big sturdy frame, 6'3", 200. Um, I think he's, he's got very good movement skills, so he's not stiff for his size. I think his releases are pretty clean. Um, And his body control, is impressive too. Um, his career there at Charlotte, he is 24. He's caught 
24 of 54 contested catch opportunities. So 44%. So basically 50, 50 balls. He comes down with 50% of them, um, which would be a welcome addition to this receiving core uh, on the outside there. I think he's a guy that if he were to enter the NFL draft, I mean, depending on like what he runs and all that, which I think, I think he would turn out a pretty good time. Um, I think he's a guy that could sneak in like sixth or seventh round. Um, I do think if he were to go P five somewhere and ball out, he could improve that draft stock. So to me, these are the type of guys that, uh, you go land a Grant DuBose, Dubois, sorry. <laughs> and you pair him with a Tyler Van Dyke. I think it makes a lot of sense for all the parties involved. Um, I was pretty excited when I saw that he had announced he was entering the portal. Yeah. Who's the other guy, uh, the other wide receiver um, at the FCS level that the fans need to know about? Yeah, uh, this is a wide receiver. Oh, man, I just had it up. Andrew Armstrong. He is another, hold on. He is um, a Texas A&M Commerce product. So I think this was their first year at the FCS level. I don't think they were in FCS school before this year. I think this was okay. the first time in there. But he what, but he's a six foot six, 190 pounder, uh, 62 catches, 1,020 yards, 13 scores this fall. So he's a, I mean, he's a big dude. I mean, he already has offers from Louisville, NC State, Utah, uh, Missouri, um, Virginia Tech offered. So he's like, he's been in the portal for like six hours and he has like eight or nine power five offers at this point. So he's definitely a name that guys are kind of scurrying to. Um, again, there's just, you just see the size, uh, the ability yep. to kind of stretch the field. Those numbers are super impressive. He was one of the top receivers in the FCS this, this, this year. And again, I think he's a, he's a graduate and can already kind of just move on to whatever score, just start fielding offers from these new schools. So again, I know that he's someone that's on their board. So I think it's someone that they're evaluating. I don't know if I don't, Miami hasn't officially offered yet, or he hasn't tweeted out that Miami's offered yet. But I do think that he's someone that they're already kind of looking at as a staff and, and figuring out what the next move is. Yeah, and his film's intriguing too. Now, it, it's hard to evaluate a guy like him because of the competition he's yeah. facing. Uh, but watching him kind of reminded me a little bit of Colby Young's film uh, at the JUCO level. And that that has certainly worked out, um, obviously, landing Colby. Uh, Andrew Armstrong might be a little taller and might have a little more juice to him in terms of pure speed um, once he gets going. So he's definitely intriguing. I'll admit I'm more of a Grant Dubois fan, Um, but Andrew Armstrong, definitely an intriguing guy. Here's kind of like the bottom line with all this, Gabby. There's really good college football players everywhere at every level. And so now, it's kind of up to Miami to unearth all these good players, make it fit on your team, make it fit from a cultural standpoint. Um, and so, yeah, I do think, you know, look, this season is what it is. It's, it's been awful uh, to watch, but I do think, you know, Miami's going to be ultra aggressive in the transfer portal. 
And I think they're going to be able to land some quality, quality players um, that can really help them at key positions of need. Um, anything else to add there? Or should we take a break? Let's take a break. All right. Gabby's been all over this here today. And, you know, like he was alluding to, uh, it's going to be a wild December. So he's all over it on the website. Um, Miami's had four guys already announced that they are planning to enter the portal um, with Alan Hay and Elijah Roberts being the most recent one. Uh, so good luck to them in the future, wherever they do land. I think there's more. I'm just waiting for them to officially announce. Um, I think that's the fair thing to do. Uh, but anyways, this is a part of college football now. Uh, embrace the portal in both directions. And honestly, too, if guys leave, wish them luck and hope they ball out at their next spot. No bad vibes from Miami. Come on. We're better than that. All right, let's take a break. And um, on the other side, we will discuss coordinators. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all right we are back um gabby i want to start the conversation here so i wrote an article kind of outlining how mario cristobal um at each of his First two tenures, so FIU and Oregon, his teams have improved, you know, a pretty sizable way uh, from year one to year two. Uh, and within those jumps, it just so happened that he did, you know, he either had to make a change at coordinator in one case, or um, he straight up made a change himself at coordinator. So, 
at FIU, you know, we've kind of documented here in the podcast, Mario uh, inherited a disaster at FIU program with a ton of sanctions program that was coming off an 0-12 season. His first season at FIU, they went 1-11. His offensive coordinator was a young James Coley. His defensive coordinator was Phil Galliano. And you go back and look at the stats that year, it was atrocious. Um, They scored 15 points per game. They averaged 269 yards per game. The defense allowed 39 points per game and allowed 447 yards per game. So they had a bunch of David Lakes and Gabby Urrutia's <laughs> running around out there at FIU. No, no Grant Dubois for them? Nope. So year over year, though. So in 2008, James Coley accepted the tight end slash recruiting coordinator position at Florida State. So Mario Cristobal had to go hire an OC. He hired Bill Legg. And year over year, they made a jump from a 1-11 team to a 5-17. and team. Uh, the, the offense improved. Um, still not great, but it was a significant improvement uh, up from 15 points to 24 points. And the yards per game was up from 269 to 316. The defense also improved significantly. Again, not great, but it was a big jump. Um, you know, 2007, 39 points. They were down in 2008 to 28 points. So, um, and then you look at Oregon, right? Marcus Arroyo was retained as the offensive coordinator. They were good. They had Justin Herbert, 34 points in his first year. The second year, they went 35 points. Um, the defensive coordinator in the first year of Cristobal of the Cristobal era at Oregon, they retained Jim Levitt, um, and the Ducks allowed 25 points per game that year, which ranked 48th nationally. So, you know, kind of above average, kind of like what we're seeing now. Um, but after that year, Cristobal made a move and hired Andy Avalos from Boise State to run his defense. And year over year, uh, Oregon made a significant jump defensively. Um, In that second year, they allowed only 16.5 points per game, which was ninth in the country, and 329 yards per game, uh, which was 22nd nationally. So in that 2019, Oregon team went 12-2, and won the Rose Bowl, et cetera, et cetera. That, That was a better year than the year before when uh, in Mario's first year at Oregon, they went nine and four. So he does. And, and really, I think the second year, it was most evident the jump with Mario was in Pac-12 play. Uh, they went five and four in conference play in 2018, up up to eight and one in conference play in 2019. So I guess the main point is, um, number one, there's hope for next year. Um, Mario does know what he's doing. And I think it shows too, he can, he's not afraid to make a change at coordinator if he has to. Now the FIU one, I think was more James Coley leaving. Um, but the Oregon move, uh, he made a, a kind of a swift change there and the results were immediately felt 
So that kind of brings us here into our discussion uh, with Miami's coordinator situations. And we'll start with offensive coordinator, Josh Gaddis, right? Um, and I think too, Gabby, like we're not, we just need to say this on the front end. Like we're not going into this with any agenda. Like I don't, I, I honestly, like this goes for, this is probably unpopular to say, um, but I think for both Gaddis and Steele, you can make arguments both ways in terms of should Mario bring them back or should Mario um, go in a different direction? I'm kind of in the middle. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not extremely passionate that he should do one way or the other with each guy. Honestly, my opinion on that, uh, if you pin me down, would probably surprise people. So we'll get into that here, I guess. Um, but um, let's start with the offensive coordinator. Um, what do you think? Let's just start here. So, like, what would you think is, like, some arguments to keep him? Um, I think one fair thing to point out, and again, you can spin this as an excuse. I get it. This is a results-oriented business. The results have not been there. Um, but I do think it's fair to point out, or I do think it's fair to say, can we really judge Josh Gaddis with all the injuries Miami has faced this year? Do you think that's fair to say? Yeah, no, I, I think it's I think that's totally fair. And again, it's I feel like this is kind of one of the wild, like again, just the situation at Miami this year is. Again, I mean, injuries obviously happen in football, but I feel like they kind of stacked up. And again, I don't think that they were, yeah. from a depth perspective, this team was not built to to handle uh, this many injuries. Um, you know, you got guys that are like floating around the six foot mark, you know, playing guard at one point. You know, it's it's the it, it's a lot to deal with again. And I think the the argument that you're playing a third string quarterback that I think everyone would agree should not be on the field. Uh, like, you know, would have never played this year in any other circumstance. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's been a lot, you lost a, you know, one of your top contributors in Xavier Strepo early on in the season, Five you lost games. him for a stretch, you lost him for a stretch, uh, you yep. know, when he was kind of in rhythm and felt like kind of like a guy, you know, your quarterback goes Here's a down. Question. Yeah. If they have, and this is a big, what if I just think it's interesting to throw out there. I'm not like passionate that this would be the case, but if they have Xavier Restrepo, do they win that Texas A&M game? Because one of the big things I remember from that Texas A&M game was drops. Yeah. And I feel like Tyler kind of just like looking around, like trying to decide, like figure out who to throw it to. Like, I think, I think Restrepo maybe gives him something. Yeah. I mean, again, I don't, yeah, it, it it was at that time in that situation. I mean, I think that was a super big deal. So, I mean, I think a lot, I think this, I think the, I mean, really, I think a lot just kind of fell against him. Like it, it wasn't really, it hasn't really been set up for him or anyone else to succeed. I feel like he, he runs an offense that kind of relies on, you know, obviously, you know, big physical guys, you know, wants, did what he wanted to do with they do what they do at Michigan, which is, you know, run the ball and, you know, and do to all that the, point they didn't have their best offensive lineman all year. Zion Nelson yeah, has exactly. not really been healthy all year. Yeah. Also to your point, probably their two best quote unquote, bigger backs have been hurt the whole season in Travante citizen, who I think if he doesn't get hurt, 
I think he's like their guy. He I is think, definitely the guy right now. I think the whole fan base is excited about Travante Citizen if they're able to see him play this year. I think mm-hmm. he would be a stud. Uh, and then Don Chaney too, you know? I mean, yeah, he's he's been dealing with injuries his career, but, um, you know, he does bring kind of a bigger back element um, that when he's healthy, um, he's shown he can be productive at times. So, and then you throw in there too, like Elijah Arroyo. Yeah. I think he was a big part of what they wanted to do, you know, with the power, the power element of this offense. Um, and then, you know, you just sprinkle in these little injuries they've been having here and there, the whole year, Henry Parrish out for a couple games. Yeah. Jalen uh, Knighton, the fumbles that kind of, you know, yeah. at times really, really hurt them. Right. And then Justice Ola was shown, uh, you know, he's not a guy that's like an NFL guy probably, but what is the difference between Justice Ola was shown and when you start having to dip into that depth? Um, yeah. I think the gap there is kind of wide. Um, so I think it's fair to say, can you really evaluate Josh Gaddis due to the injuries? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's where the question is, right? It's just, again, this people have their takes and everyone already feels how they feel about this, but I, I feel like we don't know. Exa- I mean, we, we do know what a Josh Gaddis offense looks like in a perfect situation, you know, we, we saw what happened at Michigan last year. Honestly, what they're running at Michigan this year is not far off from what they were doing last year when he was there. I mean, he won the Broyles Award. I mean, this was a guy that has kind of done a good job in other places. I think that's I think that's a part of the reason why it's fair to say, hey, maybe we haven't had even had the opportunity to even give this offense a real shot. Like we've had they've had to completely stylistically change even the way that they approach the offense when Jakari Brown gets in there because Suddenly you have a quarterback that is, you know, very in a, in a de- developmental stage as a passer, you have to find ways to, to kind of get, keep the ball in his hands for him to run more. So you're kind of changing things up that way so that it fits the style of your quarterback. It, it's a lot. And again, th- there's arguments against, we're going to get, we're going to go into some arguments against. Yeah. 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 Now, we're not, but we're, we're not. just kind of, we're on that side of the coin right now. Yeah. We'll get to, you know, the other side of it, but I do think that there's, you know, if you're just kind of looking at this from an outsider's perspective to just be like, Hey, like, I mean, maybe he didn't get a, a fair shake at this, you know, like th- this wasn't a real opportunity unlucky. to display. Yeah. It was kind of unlucky, which is part of football, right? But... It is. But I think that's also a part of where Miami's going or where Miami is as a program. And that's why we're talking transfer portal, where we're expecting a high number of guys to leave and they're going to go out and get a high number of guys so that the, overall talent depth of the roster is better so that maybe if they wanted to try this again you know at least maybe the personnel would be at a place where they feel like they could have they could put themselves in position to have more success running an offense like this which i think can work i think it can work i'm not i don't think think the offense in itself is terrible i just don't think that it's necessarily gone the way that everyone hoped it would i don't think they have the horses to run this yeah they definitely don't um and, and to that point you know like Look, could you then on the flip side criticize them for not adapting to their personnel? Right. I think that's extremely fair to say. Yeah. Um, but this is the offense they want to run. And look, if a team like if a team can't consistently convert third and short yardage runs, is that necessarily coaching or is that personnel? 
I think that's an interesting debate. Uh, I think one other argument uh, in terms of like the argument to keep Josh Gaddis, I think continuity is a fair argument. Um, you know, look, I think there's going to be a lot of turnover um, on both sides of the ball, but there's going to be turnover personnel wise. Um, and so I think you could make the argument, why not keep things the same for the guys that are returning? Why make everyone have to learn a new system uh, or deal with Again. a new coach? Yeah. Uh, the counterpoint to that is, well, if you're going to have a lot of turnover, does that matter? Um, and, and ultimately, too, I think the bottom, bottom, bottom line argument in terms of like why Mario Cristobal would potentially keep Josh Gaddis. This is ultimately the style of offense he wants to run. Um, I think he, this is what he wants to do. Um, and I think he believes, which I don't think he's wrong. I think he believes if the personnel is improved, this offense can be extremely explosive and tough to defend. Um, I also think he likes that Josh Gaddis is a tough, hard-nosed coach. I think that's the type of coach Mario Cristobal wants on his staff. Guys that hold players accountable and hold them to a standard. Um, you know, those would be my main arguments. Uh, all right. Those are, I think, the main arguments to keep Josh Gaddis. Is there anything else you would add? Um, no, not really. I mean, I think that's kind of like, I think we touched on a lot of the, the reasons why. The arguments to make a change. Um, again, you know, this is a results-oriented business. Um, and while there are explanations in terms of the injuries that are fair to make and why, you know, it is hard to judge Josh Gaddis. On the flip side of that, you could argue, should things be this bad on offense? I think that's fair to say. I don't think things should be this bad. You know, 24 points per game, simply not good enough. You take away that Bethune-Cookman season opener, the points per game drops down to 19.7. Uh, should things be that bad, even with all these injuries? I would say no. Uh, so... I don't know where you stand on that. I do think yeah. too, Gabby, like he's done a poor job connecting with the players. Um, I think that's up to, you know, every person has their opinion on whether that matters. You know, I think in the modern day, you can, you can coach hard, but the players need to know that you care about them. And I'm not necessarily sure that Josh Gaddis has made that type of connection. Uh, and so if he does return, that's something he's going to need to work on. Um, and then the last thing I think, and to me, this is like the biggest thing for Josh Gaddis that he has to overcome. You know, to me, the biggest reason to make a change and whether this is fair or not is uh, a narrative change. I think perception matters in recruiting. Uh, and I don't think you can overlook the recruiting aspect with a coach like Mario Cristobal that is all in on the talent acquisition side of things. Um, 
And so if Mario feels like having Josh Gaddis as my offensive coordinator is going to hurt my chances with landing the best players I can possibly land, then that is a reason to make a change after year one. Yeah, I I agree with a lot of what you said. And I think a, a part of kind of what I mentioned as a reason to kind of keep him around is also it could potentially be an argument to kind of move on from him. Like Miami is not at a place where they have the personnel to run this kind of offense. And again, it is what Mario Cristobal wants to do. But if it's if, if it's not working here, if, if, if Miami's two, three years away from being able to run an offense like this efficiently, I mean, you have to adapt and you have to be able to go and run, and run something that's going to be successful for what you have at some point because you can force feed this type of offense. But if it's not going to produce results, it's not going to produce results. And right now it's not producing results. I mean, you mentioned outside of the Bethune-Cookman game. I mean, I think it's fair to just really just go out there and say Miami's averaging under 20 points per game, right? Like, I yeah. think I think it's a fair way to kind of judge this offense that's unacceptable. It seems, again... I, I do think that this is an offense that can work at places where it's built, where it's built that way, where it's built from the front, from the offensive line outward. You got some backs that can do it, but I just, I don't know that again, currently this Miami team is, is built up front on the offensive line to play this kind of big physical style of football, um, you know, where you're going to kind of have to smash, you're going to have that smash mouth kind of brand where, you know, this team's not a good run blocking team. Maybe the personnel's a couple years away. And if that's the case, maybe you move off of it until you feel like your roster's at a place where you can kind of maybe one day go back to this style, not saying go back to Josh Gaddis, obviously, but go back to a style like this, where, you know, this is who we want to be on offense, but until we get there, we need to find We need to find a style that's going to work and help this offense, this team kind of take that next step. Because again, it matters in recruiting. Right now, it's just like, oh, Miami has an anemic offense. Like, why are you going to go to Miami? Just these receivers right. aren't catching balls. The running backs aren't getting many yards. The quarterback situation's a mess. Um, you know, they're they're on a third string guy. There, they didn't score a touchdown against Virginia. All, I mean, th- there's arguments for like all from all different directions uh, against this Josh Gaddis Miami offense. So, if it, I think one of the arguments is that just Miami's not built right now to run this type of offense, and since they aren't. I mean, you just kind of got to move on and try to find someone else who can maybe run something that's going to be a bit more friendly to the personnel that you have right now. That's what I would do. I'm just not sold. That's what Mario Cristobal will do. You know, I don't think he necessarily thinks in terms like I don't think he thinks the system is the issue. I think he views it as a personnel issue with, you know, injuries slash the player's ability to execute. Um, And I think too, you know, I think if we gave, this is me editorializing, I think if we gave Mario truth serum and said, okay, Mario, who has the better resume, you or these players? Who has the better resume, Josh Gaddis or these players? I think he would say, look, we're coaches. We have a much more successful resume than all these players on the team right now. So why should we cater to them? We just need players that can execute and do what we want to do. And you look at the best offenses around the country, um, those offenses, generally speaking, have the best players too. Um, So, you know, Ohio State, USC, Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, um, 
yes, these offenses produce and they're balanced. Uh, they run, they pass, uh, they play at a very high level. Um, but those teams also have the best offensive players in the country. And so I think that at the end of the day, that's what Mario Cristobal is most concerned with upgrading the talent. And, uh, you know, I think the hard part or the frustrating part about that is going to be the offensive line, because I think you can flip it quick at wide receiver running back. You know, I don't think Miami needs to at quarterback you know, if Tyler Van Dyke comes back, but I think you can flip it quick there too. To me, offensive line is the hardest position to flip quickly. And so if this Gaddis thing or this style of offense doesn't work at Miami, it's because it didn't work out on the offensive line. Now, there's reasons for optimism there with Francis Maui Goa committed. They're trending positively for Samson Okanlola. So if they land guys like that, you're feeling better about it. But even then, as true freshmen, can they significantly elevate right. the offensive line play to where it needs to be? Um, you know, and I think this too, I'm not, I'm not so sure. Like, I, I don't think Mario Cristobal has even made up his mind on this yet. Um, I think where his head at is right now, Pittsburgh. And then I think he's going to transition into full talent acquisition mode. And I think part of that too, is just how things are going to be done around the country due to the calendar of the off season. Um, once your season ends, you got to recruit, you got to be all over the portal. And then once you get past that early signing period, I think then you start thinking about your staff for the future. Um, so, you know, in regards to that, I think Josh Gaddis has a chance to prove himself. If, again, if Miami struggles to land quality transfers that can upgrade things at wide receiver, running back, um, maybe even the offensive line, I think Gaddis is going to have a hard time coming back in 2023. But if they if they can flip the roster um, between now and the end of the early signing period via the portal and high school recruits, I think Gaddis is going to be able to make a strong argument to Mario, like, hey, we got the horses now. Give me a chance to cook and let's see what we can do in 2023. Yeah, no, I mean, again, I, I agree with that. And I think you even look at some of the opportunities just even in the Clemson game. I mean, I think there was times where guys were open and things just kind of didn't happen. I mean, he can't put the ball in Xavier Estrepo's hands, you know, in that first quarter, he can't, you know, there, there's other opportunities there where things have been open. Um, so yeah, I mean, whatever. It, I mean, I know people fall on on different sides and feel very strongly yeah. either way. But again, I do think that there's arguments that can go to both sides, and Absolutely. I think we did a good job. Uh, you know, especially you, David. I think you did a good job presenting both of those both of those sides there. If a change is made, who are names that interest you? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, a couple. I feel like there's just like the basic ones that are just kind of you know like like the hot offensive names. I mean the Garrett Riley's Alex Golesh, which yeah. is a name we talked about last year. Right. I feel like yeah. when we talked about Alex Golesh, everyone was like, Oh, what the heck? Alex Golesh, Alex Golesh, probably one of the hottest offensive names in the country right now. Right. And I do think that was someone they were looking at. He's Tennessee. Last year. He's Tennessee. Yeah. Garrett Riley's the OC at TCU. 
uh, Lincoln Riley's SMU. younger brother. As, uh, no, T- Garrett Riley. Yeah, you're sorry. Yeah. You're yeah, right. So I, I do want to throw two kind of maybe off the wall names. One of them that I found pretty interesting. Um, one of uh, the, the name that I kind of came up with, uh, Mike Bolesh. He's a uh, he's uh, the OC at North Texas, a uh, primary pay, play caller. Uh, in 2021, had the number five rushing offense. This year in 2022, have a top 20 offense, 35.7 points per game. Uh, they have the number 16 rush offense with 208.3 yards per game and the number 26 pass offense at 273.7 yards per game. So balanced offense. The guy, I got someone that likes to run the ball, uh, kind of a G5 name that, again, has kind of produced uh, for the North Texas mean green over the past couple of years. And, um, you know, again, I think that's just a, a kind of off the wall name where could that that kind of makes sense is kind of interesting to me and has been highly productive. Um, the, the, the second one I kind of came up with, uh, Charlie Weiss Jr. Who's, uh, at Ole Miss is a long time Lane Kiffin kind of guy was with him at FAU spent some time yeah. at USF where they, you know, he was a part of that offensive attack. Now he's kind of at, at Ole Miss where he replaced uh, Jeff Levy. Um, again, I think kind of that Lane Kiffin offensive tree, kind of a, a brainchild of that offense. And, uh, you know, if, if Miami wants to bring in someone who can, kind of draw it up and kind of of that same mentality or same school of thought as Lane Kiffin. I think Charlie Weiss Jr. is a, you know, could potentially be a, a fun name that can, that can come in. Yep. I think, you know, I think it's fair to say Mario Cristobal likes to make a splash with his coordinator hires. Yeah. I don't think and either that, one of those two would be splashy. Uh, right. I mean, Weiss might be. Weiss you could spin. Um but I was going to say, like, Garrett Riley is probably one of the sexier names yeah. out there. Like, he's he's probably going to be highly sought after after this uh, year. Um, this isn't in the splashy category. But one name I'm, you know, I think would make sense from a fit standpoint would be Utah offensive coordinator Andy Ludwig, just because they play the style Mario yeah. Cristobal would like. And they do score points this year. Um, you know, I think they're top 20, top 25 at points per game. Um, and then, you know, look, we just did this pretty much, what, 13 months ago, 12 months ago. And so I think you can rinse and repeat a lot of those same names um, that we saw last year during the coaching cycle uh, when Mario was hiring his OC. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's go on to defensive coordinator Kevin Steele. Um, what is the argument to keep him? I will be honest. I probably fall on the side of like, 
I think it's time to move on with Kevin Steele. Um, so I was having a hard time making an argument to keep him. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think it's fair to say, like, you know, most like mistakes have been common this season on the defensive side. Um, but I think it's fair to say a lot of those mistakes are guys like busting mentally or just straight up getting beat one-on-one. Um, and so those aren't necessarily things that like a coach, like what's a coach supposed to do when those type of things happen? Um, really the only like flat out coaching issues I have defensively is that middle Tennessee state game. Um, which I don't like thinking about, but to me, I think the approach for that game was wrong the whole game. And I think that's the big reason why they they lost that game. And, you know, we'll see how the Pittsburgh game goes this week, but that loss could be the difference between uh, going bowling and not going bowling. So uh, I don't know. What would be your argument to keep him? Yeah, I mean, again, I think, an argument, I mean, an argument to keep him was just maybe that I don't know. I, I, I guess I don't know how the the top end talent on the defense is. Um, I think you can argue that there's some young guys, especially on the back end. I think when some of those kind of breakdowns happened, it was kind of you know young safeties. Like I know Cam Pitchens is having an awesome, awesome year, but he was, um, you know, the, he was one of the guys who was kind of guilty of some of some big breakdowns uh, at, yeah. at times where you know, things just kind of got behind him where he was kind of in the wrong position. His eyes were in the wrong place and uh, kind of defensive breakdowns. Um, I think that he inherited a team that really just had really just poor tackling tendencies. I think that it's just, I think that's a very, very difficult habit to break. I think those, I think just kind of re, like teaching guys how to tackle well is not something that maybe happens over the course of just a year. Maybe it's something that takes time. I think you can argue that Kevin Steele has, produced top defenses when he had kind of top talent, um, you know, when he was maybe at Auburn with Derek Brown and, and all those different guys, Montrevious Adams. I mean, they had one of the best defensive lines in the country. Um, Kevin Steele has, has obviously been in the game a very, very long time and has had a bunch of different stops where he's done a lot of great things over the course of his career. So um, again, uh, Kevin Steele is, is kind of just a, a veteran defensive mind. That's been yeah. at a lot of great places on a lot of great staffs has, has been brought on by a lot of great coaches and uh, you know, Miami uh, from an overall talent standpoint um, probably is closer to the bottom of teams. He's been a, a part of, you know, over the course of his career. And, you know, this is obviously a team that's again, kind of in a rebuild mode. Um, you know, you ended up having to play some guys kind of fit in some pieces. And so overall, I think that this is a team that kind of, he kind of inherited a lot of problems that were just already in place that maybe were just maybe too big for him to fix you know, in, in, in a short amount of time. So the arguments to make a change, um, you know, in, in my opinion, I think that side of the ball has really underperformed relative to the talent he's had available. Again, I understand there are deficiencies on that side of the ball as well. Um, but I think this defensive line is pretty good. I think... DJ Ivy's played pretty well most of the season. I think Tyreek Stevenson's a, a serviceable corner. I think 
James Williams and Cam Kitchens have talent to play at the next level. So I think when you say all that, it's a good starting point. Um, And so relative to that, I think the defense is underperforming 25.4 points per game, four games of at least 40 points, three games of at least 45 points allowed. Um, You know, they haven't, in my opinion, they haven't really played a complete game outside of maybe like Georgia Tech. Even that game, you know, you're playing against a true freshman quarterback and then a later in the game as a backup quarterback that just has no business playing at this level. Um, And it's just like week to week to week, it's just constantly new issues. One week, it's the pass defense bus. Another week, it's missed tackles. Another week, it's poor run fits. Another week, it's you can't get off the field on third downs. You know, the explosive plays, like, yeah, here in recent weeks, I mean, I don't know. I guess it's just every other week but you know some weeks the explosive plays aren't allowed but over the totality of this whole season Miami has allowed 15 plays of at least 40 yards on the year which ranks I don't know like 115th about in the country um just not good enough 25.4 points per game I would assume that number is going to go up this week against Pittsburgh. Um, and I think when you look at the production of the defense relative to the offenses they've played, I mean, what they've played, I would argue they've played two good offenses in North Carolina and Florida State. That North Carolina game ends up being a decent showing by the defense. Yeah. Um, but they've kind of underperformed. Like Clemson isn't a 40 point good offense. Middle Tennessee state is not a 45 point good offense. No. Duke like, yeah, not against the power it. five program. I think they put up 40 yeah. against FAU, but not against Miami. Duke, the offense, you know, put the defense in tough positions. I agree with that. Um, but at some point, can you not force a field goal? Um, and then, you know, they've played teams like A&M awful offense, Southern Miss awful offense, Virginia awful offense, Virginia Tech awful offense, Georgia Tech awful offense. So 25.4 points per game within that context, that ain't, that ain't doing it for me. I don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, I mean, all fair arguments. Again, I, I think if, I, I mean, I think if they're going to make a move somewhere, I could definitely see it being on that this side of the ball. Uh, Kevin Steele was like the last um, defensive court. It was like the last hire of this whole thing too, wasn't he? Like, I yeah. feel like, I feel like, um, you know, there, there were definitely. I, I it was, think it was it I like mean, it was leaked a, the night before signing day, and it was like yeah. the last ditch effort to get Shamar, get Shamar. Stewart. I felt right. it was a four three, and Shamar was obsessed with that. Yeah, right. It it was a weird situation overall, and right. um, which like, is another just, point. Like, is he the long term answer? Yeah, is like that, and, you know. And was he the like like what like how right like at what point down the like the I don't know the 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 hot board was Kevin Steele to right. begin with. And again, I think, I mean, I think you can maybe make the same argument, argument about, um, 
you know, I mean, Josh Gaddis was a, was a, was a February hire, I think, like, cause I think I was in New York at that point when, when Josh Gaddis got hired. So, um, you know, I, I mean, there, it was just a weird situation overall with the Kevin Steele thing. I feel like it happened really, really fast. And there was other, definitely other, other defensive coordinators in contention too. So curious to see if, if Kevin Steele is the, the long-term answer. And I think there is something to the fact that, I mean, he, again, this isn't, I'm not trying to be disrespectful by saying this by any means. Uh, he is, you know, yeah, he is an older, older guy, you know, he's an older guy. He, I mean, he is. And, uh, you know, I think, I do think that, uh, you know, there are some options that, you know, could maybe make more sense for, for Miami long-term, um, you know, in just different directions. So, um, you know, I, I think, I mean, Kevin Seals is a good dude. He's a funny guy to hear, listen, talk, yeah. like to hear him he talk at press conference. Yeah, you know, for sure. He's a smart guy. Um, but yeah, I just, I'm not sold that he's the long-term answer or the long-term defensive coordinator that Mario Cristobal wants. Um, and so, you know, what do we think Mario Cristobal will do? I kind of think there's like, if you force me to pick, is it more likely a change is made at, at OC or DC? And again, changes could happen at both. Um, but if you ask me to pick which is more likely, I would kind of go DC, I think. I just think someone has to pay for the sins of, you know, someone has to be sacrificed for the Middle Tennessee State debacle. Yeah. And the Florida State disgusting 45 point situation. Um, you know. And to me, like, yeah, both sides of the ball were an issue in those games. I'm not saying the offense was good in those games. The offense was also terrible. Um, but I just think, you know, I think the defense has kind of had its horses all season long. And this is what they've been. Yeah. Um, I'm also curious, too, like, your thoughts on this. Because, you know, we touched on Kevin Seal being an older guy which I'm fine with, honestly, like I, I'm not, I don't have an issue with it, but the one area I always wonder about with that is recruiting, especially nowadays where For sure. you got to be on social media. Definitely. Um, I don't think Kevin Steele has a Twitter account <laughs> that we know of, like right. at least publicly, um, you know, what is, what type of impact does he make in recruiting as far as you, you're, your understanding. I mean, he goes out on the road and all that stuff, Yeah. but you know, I, my, my, my feeling on him is like, he's this old grizzled defensive coordinator and his job is to just have that defense, right. And, you know, yeah, he's going to be recruiting and all that, but his job is to coordinate that defense, make sure it's on point. Uh, whereas Josh Gaddis, I feel like takes on a little more recruiting responsibility than Steele. Um, but anyways, what, what's your impressions of him as a recruiter? Yeah, I, I think of that. I mean, I think a lot of it falls on, and, and again, I think this has a lot to do with Mario Cristobal and the type of person he is where Kevin Steele can just be kind of team focused where it's just like, yeah, you know, you're going to recruit and you're going to get on a call because obviously you want to talk to the defensive coordinator, but like Mario Cristobal can recruit a middle linebacker, you know, like Mario, it doesn't have to be right. Kevin Steele, that kind of spear spearheads that like Mario Cristobal will go, go get you a, a defensive end or a linebacker or a safety, like, you know, like he can be, he can handle a lot of those types of things. So um, Kevin Steele, again, I think that might be another argument against him where, you, you know, he doesn't probably have a ton of, I mean, from what I understand, I mean, he doesn't have a ton of recruiting responsibilities, 
And, uh, you know, he should be more, it should be more of a focus on the team and obviously what's going on on the day to day on green tree and out there, obviously at hard rock stadium. Um, so, you know, again, he steals not, he's not winning any recruiter of the year awards here anytime soon. So, um, you know, I don't, I think that could definitely be, a, that's a perspective I hadn't really thought of yet. Um, uh, you know, maybe potentially against Kevin Steele and, and the way that the defense has performed. Right. And, you know, I don't think, again, if it, I don't, I'd be surprised if it, you know, OC or DC, if a change is made before the end of the early signing period, just because talent acquisition is going to be so important. Um, but let's wrap things up here quickly before we do. If a change is made at DC, who are names that interest you? Yeah, uh, came up with a couple. One, uh, Ryan Walters, who's at Illinois, uh, yeah. just they're just 36 years old. He's good. I mean, Illinois, I mean, has, I mean, I think back to back years has had one of the top defenses in the country. I think they're, I think they have like the number two rushing defense right now. I think they're a top five total defense also. Again, just someone, he's young. Um, is has been productive. I think has recruited and developed well. I mean, Gabe Jockus is a guy I put on that, you know, speculative transfer portal list. I mean, kind of stole him at the 11th hour away from Tulane. And, uh, you know, he's a stud defensive end in the Big Ten. And watching him play against Michigan was definitely impressive. And again, just a true freshman. He's also done the same with Johnny Newton, who's a, you know, interior defensive lineman from the state of Florida who has become one of the better, you know, interior defensive linemen in the Big Ten also. So Ryan Walters was one, another Big Ten defensive coordinator. I kind of landed on Joe Rossi. Uh, so second year, second year in a row, Minnesota has had a top 10 scoring defense and, and a top 10 total defense. So just a guy that kind of, you know, gets the little golden gophers to play defense. Again, not really splashy names, but Ryan Walters might be a little bit more splashy. Seems like a young up-and-comer who, uh, you know, is definitely going to be a hot defensive name that I'm sure Illinois is going to have to try to, fight to keep in champagne, but Joe Rossi is, uh, again, just a guy that seems to just kind of get it done for those dudes on defense. Yeah, Big Ten is playing some good defense this year. Right. I don't know if it's bad offense or yeah. good, whatever. A little bit <laughs> of both, maybe. Uh, Penn State's defense is playing well, too. Ooh, who, who's, their, uh, who's their defensive coordinator? <laughs> Royals Awards semifinalist. I, some names that I, you know, Glenn Schumann was a name last cycle right. that was tossed out there. He's the Georgia D.C. Yeah. Um, you know, there's talk too that Alabama's gonna move away from Pete Golding. I might kick the tires on that, you know. Um I think Kentucky does a good job, Brad White. Then also too, I think, you know, there's I think Mario likes looking at NFL options as well. Um, you know, you wait out the end of the NFL season and see what bubbles up there. So again. I would be surprised if Mario makes any type of decision on this before the signing period, just because I think in particular with the transfer portal, Gabby, it's hard to land guys if they don't, you know, college level guys, if they don't know or think they know who their OC and DC are going to be. I think that's going to be a hard sell with portal guys. Um, so we'll see. Anyways. We will wrap up this conversation. Hopefully you enjoyed it. We tried to give like a little bit of a nuanced conversation here. Um, it'll be interesting to see what Mario Cristobal decides to do. I, I could go either way on, on both of these guys. Um, I think you could make arguments both ways. Um, 
Want to remind everyone, 75% off this week, VIP sale, $26 for a year's worth of coverage. Um, appreciate everyone who decides to take advantage of that. Um, again, hopefully everyone has a good Thanksgiving. Enjoy the time with family, friends, football, turkey. What's your favorite <laughs> side, Gabby? Oh, mac and cheese. Oh, nice. Okay. I think I would go... The older I get, the more I like sweet potatoes. I'll go yeah, sweet potatoes. Me, me and Natalie are responsible for the sweet potatoes this year, so so pray for me and uh, my my cooking skills because it's gonna definitely gonna this. follow me. You got this. We'll see. We'll see. It's a big one. It's a big that sweet potatoes you gotta hit. So you do. Kind of nervous. All right. Good luck to the Urrutias. And till next time, take care. It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.